Welcome to Newborn to Teen and Everything in Between, the podcast from Bespoke Family. I'm Bex. And I'm Claire. Thanks for joining us as we tackle the ups and downs of life with children, helping you to get the best out of your time together. No rules, no judgment, just guidance. So grab a cuppa and let's get started with today's episode. So hello and welcome to today's podcast. Um, We're absolutely delighted today to be joined by Emma, who is Dietitian with a Difference. So welcome, Emma. It's lovely to have you with us. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited. That's okay. Well, the first thing, we, we always start off by asking our guests just to tell us a little bit about themselves. And in your case, um, what we'd really love to know is why you are a dietitian with a difference. And we know that you are one of our Instagram buddies. Um, and so obviously we know why you're a dietitian with a difference, but people who are listening might not. So, so my name is Emma and I'm dietitian with a difference. And I help mums fix fussy eating and support them with allergies. And the reason why I call myself Dietitian with a Difference is I have a lovely little five-year-old girl who had lots of allergies, um, egg and milk in particular. And she also was a very fussy eater as well. So the reason why I'm a Dietitian with a Difference is I feel that I also bring my experience as a mum and also as a dietitian, so I'm not just giving you clinical advice, I'm also giving you practical tips and strategies that I know work and can support you as a mum in that horrific stage of allergies and fussy eating because I know how hard it can be for parents out there. Was it something that you, obviously you trained as a dietitian and kind of come into that, but was it something that surprised you having your own little girl that how kind of challenging allergies and fussy eating is is that kind of what made you then lead into this but was it quite a surprise being that parent and having to deal with that yeah definitely I think when I had Olivia um obviously I've been working for a dietitian for about seven years eight years now and um yeah it was quite a shock because I think I had the whole view that you know I'd have a little girl I'd know what to do I'd know how to wean her she wouldn't have any allergies because we didn't have any allergies it would be really easy to manage and I wouldn't have any issues and yeah it was a massive shock to the system and also I think the other thing was the lack of support out there as well like I remember you know going back and forth to the doctors um, and I was actually really lucky to be fair the GP I had was amazing and actually sent her straight to hospital with her in the end she was tiny and a premature baby as well but I just kind of ignored a lot of the signs like she had really bad reflux and I was just like oh she'll be fine and I was quite dismissive of everything so I think yeah it's really really hard and I remember then going to hospital and then you know she was one of the things I really remember is that obviously at that point she was refusing to drink milk she was losing weight um but I'd never fed her naked, which is a really bizarre thought, because you just don't. And she was actually covered in a rash every when I was giving her this milk, and I'd never even noticed. And I remember the mum guilt thinking, oh my God, this is horrible. How have I not noticed this? And I remember we saw the consultant, and they were like, oh, well, you'll come back in three weeks. Never heard from them again. No input, nothing. And I think for me, as a dietitian, that was okay, because I know how to reintroduce the milk ladder I know the stages of allergies and stuff so for me it wasn't a problem but for a lot of parents out there and a lot of parents that I see privately they feel quite undersupported and there's not that much help you I mean in terms of NHS help you'll get sort of one appointment we do a group session in our in our trust but that's all the real support that they get 
And sometimes you need a little bit more help than just, here you go, here's the milk ladder. And when your child fa fails, I'm not sure I use the words fail, but doesn't make it up the milk ladder successfully, which was my case. Olivia took to like three and a half before we got to the top of the milk ladder. You just feel like you're constantly failing and you're not getting anywhere as a parent and you're just, here you go, this is she, get on with it. And it's like, but actually there's not that much support or help out there. Apart from obviously on Instagram, there's lots of lovely parents and lots of lovely dietitians out there that are helping. It's interesting actually, because I remember um, I had twins and about three months later, my sister had a little girl and um, she had a very extreme milk allergy in the same way. She was breastfed, but so it wasn't, it was the the cow's milk when she started to wean um, and she was so sick and they just didn't know what it was and so she came here and um, I I think we had some um, sweet potato in something and I'd, I'd put a little bit of milk in it and hadn't really thought about it and I hadn't really witnessed how sick she could be but like you say it was a bit like where did you where do you turn? And at the time, we didn't have really Instagram because it's quite a long time ago. Um, but, you know, we didn't really have that. And so she did feel really isolated in that kind of what do we do? So just explain to me what the milk ladder is. I've not heard of that. So the milk ladder is basically... So if your child's got what we call a non-IG allergy, so that means that they've got a delayed reaction. So you would only introduce it for a child with a delayed reaction. Um, basically, it's a reintroduction thing. So if a child has a non-IG allergy, there's no actual test. So if they have what we call an IG allergy, which is an immediate reaction, they can have like a skin prick test or a blood test, and that will give you a result. But if your child's got a non-IG, so a delayed reaction, that blood test and that skin prick test isn't really going to give you any accurate kind of results, and you wouldn't be referred by a doctor or anybody for those tests anyway. Um, so the milk ladder is basically what we would do normally around 12 months. We like to say wait six months from the last reaction. And it's basically a step-by-step -step process. It's a six-step process they use. They used to have a 12-step one, but now they've moved to a six-step one. And it's basically you start at the bottom of the ladder and you might start with cookies and biscuits as your first step. And there's recipes as well that you follow. So at that stage, it's very much like... Um, the milk it's like milk powder basically it's sort of like skim milk powder basically and it's a very broken down because it's been the milk's been treated at very high heat it's very broken down which means it's easier for it to normally be you less likely to have a reaction and you basically work your way through these six, six steps all the way up to basically either a formula or just a glass like for example of cow's milk and you do it as a step-by-step -step process and what happens is that if your baby or your child reacts then you stop but if you say you got to step three, um, like say you got to cheese or yogurt or something, step four, you know, you got that far, then you would keep all those foods in up until that level. So, for example, I did the 12 step one with Olivia. We could not get whilst white sauces. She would just vomit and like be in agony. I couldn't, but I could include things further down. So lots of other things could do in her diet, but just not, we couldn't get past that step. And that's quite common for a lot of parents. But I think it's just, you sort of, as a parent you kind of worry and you're like why am I not getting through this like everyone else has just got and some kids will do it and they'll just literally sail through it in a couple of months and they're through that ladder and it's absolutely fine so I'd say that's quite useful then having that kind of guidance so that you can kind of say this is where we've got to and this is kind of the level that sh they can tolerate for example yeah and it's an official it's called the IMAP uh, milk ladder so any parent who is diagnosed with a non-IG cow's milk should mm. be given advice around that milk ladder 
and how to do reintroduction. So what kind of things do you do to support families and, and you know, how does that work? Um, so the clients I often have at the moment, um, and I've also put together an ebook as well, is mainly a lot around fussy eating. So I put together like lots of strategies. So I'd normally do a one-to-one with patient. I'd do a nutritional analysis. So I'd look at all their diet and any areas where they're potentially missing sites, like certain nutrients. Um, and then I would put together a package and a customised report for them based on what how their child was reacting, what strategies they've tried before with fussy eating, what new things they could implement. Um, and then for an allergy child, again, it depends on um, the allergy, whether it's multiple allergies. Um, I would normally deal with the non-IG allergies. So the IG allergies, the extreme immediate reaction, like you know when you hear about your nut allergies where they need an EpiPen, that would be done by a specialist, you know, in an aller- like an, under a consultant. I wouldn't tend to deal with, with those patients. But it's... I tend to deal with a lot of the milk ladder kind of allergies or the um, wheat ladder as well. There's a ladder for wheat and there's also a soya ladder as well. So I've helped support mm-hmm. parents through that stage and just make sure that their diet's all balanced while they've not included dairy or they're not including soya in the diet and make sure they're getting everything that their child needs for growth as well. Do you find that typically kind of fussy eating and allergies can go together? That actually because the child's had such strong yeah. reactions to something and actually probably been quite scared by it that they then become potentially fussy eaters as they get older yeah definitely I think it's really really common um to link between the two which is kind of why I focus quite a lot on the two and I found that with Olivia because I think as a parent you spend a lot of your time saying no you can't eat this no you can't have that that's got milk in it so psychologically you're spending a lot of time telling your child no to certain foods that they then get this fear of food as well like I know with Olivia she'd be like I can't have that because it's got milk in it and I'm like you can now but you know they had so long so they they have a natural fear of certain foods I think that then you've got to sort of overcome as well so once you've sort of come through the other side with the allergy then um yeah it's working on a lot of the reintroducing foods as well and I think like things like reflux can be cause you know parent um children a lot of pain as well so again that can be a big thing for fussy eating as well so yeah I do think they're really interlinked as well anything that's happened to your child when they're younger that's caused some kind of aversion there's I think there's a higher risk of you know developing sort of fussy eating but if nothing has happened and they just point blank refuse to eat stuff talking from experience Bex (laughs) maybe (laughs) um why why would that be I kind of feel like my children have got heightened taste buds, particularly one of them, that actually I we give even now we give them something and it's like, oh, that's really and you're like, no, it's not really strong or it's not really spicy or whatever. Yeah, that's really true. There are people with high there's um I can't remember the exact study, but there's one with um like bitter vegetables like broccoli and some people really taste and it tastes really horrible to them and other people it doesn't have any effect on at all. So there is lots of studies that some people have like, you know, like what you're saying, like a heightened taste buds to certain flavours as well. So, yeah, that can happen as well. That's totally... Well, I'm not telling them totally that. Possible that's possible like, That's like a good old get out. No, definitely can't eat broccoli. <laughs> My heightened taste buds won't let me. But there's not that many people that have that that aversion to broccoli but there are some people that do have those bitter taste buds I think some of it can be sensory related as well 
So, like, you know, some children, especially, like, autistic children, and a lot of children that I see as well, have a lot of other sensory processing disorders as well that can also um, cause issues around food as well and make, you know, fear of food genuine. And I always say to parents to think of it like, if I was to give you a spider now and said, right, just put it in your mouth now and eat it, you wouldn't do that. You'd be a bit scared and you'd want to touch it, you'd want to smell it you'd want to feel the food and you maybe want to add a sauce to it or you'd want to put it in something to eat it to dilute the taste so you know you can't just expect a child that's never even seen this new food to suddenly just eat it it's a whole we always say there's like 32 steps to eating and it's only near the end that you actually eat the food so when you say 32 steps what do you mean by that so like the first step would even be like being in the room with the food and then it's like you work your way through it's like touching the food like maybe going up the arm you know like then going into the mouth and biting so there's a whole step-by-step process I can't remember the name I can share the link at the end but there's a step-by-step process for actually eating food okay because kind of I wonder that you know you you quite often see children again talking from personal experience who have eaten 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 as babies and you know have been weaned on everything and then all of a sudden age I don't know one and a half or two they just go not eating it and you kind of go and you know sometimes you kind of go well that like you say maybe it's something to do with the texture or something but sometimes you just don't understand why they they're not eating something when they're about 18 months to two years old there's something called a neophobic stage which is like a fear of new foods and that basically dates all the way back to when we were sort of like hunter gatherers totally irrelevant for today's society (laughs) but when children started to move there was a risk that they might pick up poisonous food and eat something poisonous so it's like an inbuilt process you know that children go through that food could be dangerous it could be poisonous it doesn't normally last that long it should last normally a few months and then your child should grow out of that neophobic stage so it is a really common thing that happens around because lots of parents are like, oh, my, we- my child weaned beautifully and everything went well. And then they suddenly go, but why are they still not eating? And now they're 18 months. And I'm like, no, 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 that's that's totally normal. So all you've got to do is just keep exposing them to the food. Keep, you know, giving them food. Do lots of messy play and things like that as well to get them used to get over that fear. And a lot of ch- parents will say as well, they're quite happy to eat off their parents' plate because they know the food's safe. Whereas they're not happy to eat off their own plate because they don't know that the food's safe. So that's that is something that dates way back to hunter gatherer days. Oh, I do remember now, Claire. You've told me about this before. <laughs> so it is kind of, isn't it, a lot to do with how you go through that stage, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And if you think if you apply lots of pressure and you make it, you know, meal times become really stressful, the child's just children don't have much control in their lives at that sort of age but food is one area where they can control yeah I find it amazing that we still have something that was hundreds of years ago that still impacts us in today society it's kind of we haven't lost that and I've worked with families before and they sort of say similar things of oh you know why is why they stopped eating and everything else but they'll quite happily eat my breakfast and my lunch and my and I'm like, well, they've literally watched you. You're eating it. You haven't died. So your food's safe. The food you're putting on the table to them could be anything. And and it's like, but why are we? Why do we still think like that? And it's like, well, we do. We still have our fight, flight, freeze responses, all those things. And so actually, if we still got all that, then 
that still impacts on how we eat and interact with food and everything else. And food was shared very much that, you know, we would eat it, give chunks to the children and things like that. And so that's why they still do it now. And we always talk about things like sharing plates and actually just everyone picking off the same plate because actually it saves a lot of hassle, but it also stops the battles. I think it's that control and fussy eating and control really do. Parents just panic and carers panic. We we have this big thing about food, don't we? Everyone needs to be yeah, fed. Definitely. We need to feed <laughs> our children. They need nutritious food. And actually sometimes it's stepping away from the food and actually focusing on the meal time and making that mm-hmm. fun again and not worrying actually about what they're eating as such at that meal time. So sort of going back a step with them and putting that music on, having a theme night, making it fun again so that the pressure's not there anymore. And it's something that I always say to parents as well is even praising your child every five minutes when they've eaten something is actually still pressure. So if I was to say to you, oh, well done, you've had a mouthful of your toast. Well done, you've eaten... That would drive you mad by the end, wouldn't it? You wouldn't, you know, you would want, it wouldn't make you want to eat more. You'd just be like, leave me alone, I'm trying to eat my breakfast. <laughs> so yeah, it's that same idea. I think I always like to say, right, take away all the pressure. Let's focus on the safe foods that they will eat have nice family style meals and go back to basics before you start then thinking about maybe reintroducing new foods again. I always remember what you used to say, Claire, about that whole, if you don't actually eat with your child, you just stand, you sit and stare at your child. Like it's a little bit off putting, isn't it? Well, I, I always relate it. You know, when you go out with a friend for dinner and there you get them they might and you go oh are we ordering and it's like oh no I've already eaten but you go ahead yeah and you're like oh what and you're sat across from them and you're eating and you're so conscious of every mouthful you're conscious of how much you're eating what you're eating because they're just chatting away and they're just staring at you and I hate that and so when I'm with children I'm thinking I couldn't think of anything worse than just sitting and staring at them eat because it just becomes so intense and then it becomes this big thing I'm you know always have something to eat at the same time because it definitely deflects definitely from and that also intensity. It's good modeling as well if they can see you yeah. eating something that's a really good thing especially when you're you know teaching children you know to start with about eating different textures and things if they can watch you and how you use a spoon and how you do all of those things that's really important for kids and they learn from watching as well mm-hmm How do you help those children who do continue to have those allergies when it's really hard, isn't it? Because like you said, Olivia said, you know, I can't have that because it's got milk in it or, you know, things like going to parties or going to a friend's house for, you know, for tea and you're there going, oh, they can't have this and they can't. How, and it's kind of that fine balance of it's not they're fussy, but they're so limited on their diet how how do you manage that from a kind of keeping things fun and entertaining yeah I found that really stressful I remember going to a birthday party with Libby and being like you can't have that cake and she was like oh why not and I'm like because it's got cream all over it you just can't have it and her little face and I remember thinking oh my god this is horrible and you feel so guilty but one thing that I used to do was take things with me so I take a cake like a baked cake or I'd speak to the parents before. So if it was like one of her close friends, often they would make something different or they would sometimes have like a little cupcake that didn't have milk in it. And a lot of people now make 
kind of milk-free cakes or they'll make soy-free. A lot of people do that or egg-free. You know, there's so many good alternatives out there. I think with the rise of veganism as well, it's made it much easier to find the alternatives as well. Like Olivia was, this was obviously like, she's coming up to six now. There weren't so many alternatives out there, whereas I think now there's a lot more alternatives available and a lot more parents are prepared to make a cake that's egg-free because there's so many good alternatives out there or they're prepared to make a milk-free cake they know other children have got allergies so I always say speak to the parent especially if it's close if you don't know them so well then maybe bring some of your own snacks or your own food so at least your child doesn't miss out on a dessert or a cake or something that you know the other children are having um so that's my top tip really for people Mm -hmm. So tricky though, isn't it? Because it's just, you don't want them to feel different, but you also don't want them to be poorly. So it's kind of that real no. and fine I think balance, even I think though a lot of the children, like for example, Levy would have known, she knew how milk made her feel and how it made her vomit and how much pain she was in her tummy. Even from like, I would say sort of two years old, 18 months to, she had a really good idea at that point. Mm-hmm. and would know that actually the consequences of eating I know it sounds silly at that age but she did know how much pain it caused her so actually the consequences of saying no to that birthday cake even though she was upset about it she didn't want that pain or that feeling so I think a lot of children they kind of understand more often at that sort of age as well even though it can be hard yeah absolutely and it's talking to them about it isn't it and just explaining it and talking about how their tummy feels if they eat it and it seems like there's so many more allergies around now though I mean you think back to when you were little I don't remember anybody like saying at a birthday party well I can't eat that because it's got whatever in it what why has that happened why are there so many more I think that allergies are on the rise but I also think awareness is more as well so I don't know whether in the 80s it was necessarily you know so I know my mum said for example with me that I had horrific colic and I was a really sick baby so I do wonder maybe I might have had a cow's milk allergy but just in the 80s assumed it was just, colic yeah just got on yeah. with it <laughs> yeah that sounds terrible but I think that that is part of it. I do think allergies are on the rise as well but I also think mm. there wasn't so much awareness as well it's so good isn't it actually now the amount of different you know or like you say alternatives that you can get for you know not just children but for everybody now because it, you kind of make it, it makes it so much more inclusive it means that children aren't feeling like they're left out and they can eat the same food albeit you know just you know without the things that they're allergic to and what have you it's, it's really good yeah I think the food manufacturers have done a good and have done a good job as well but I also think that they've fortified a lot of the foods now so I remember in the past like a lot of like the alternative milks and things didn't have like calcium in them didn't have iodine vitamin b12 whereas now they're fortifying Mm -hmm. all of them with those which is really good as well so it means you don't have to worry that your child's not getting enough calcium or vitamin b12 or any of those things as Mm -hmm. well which has made a big difference so with your work in the nhs what kind of things so you predominantly working with children and families on kind of allergies and fussy eating is that yeah i see a lot of tube patients as well so I work in like a, a special needs school as well. So yeah, I do sort of everything from like blended diets as well. So a lot of children have moved to blended diets um, from away from like the feeds as well. So yeah, I see a whole variety of different things like celiac disease as well, some IBS patients, patients that just weight loss, so just nutritional support type things as well. 
Um, yeah, again, fussy eaters, some Alfred children as well. So again, I've got some tube fed children who just will not eat anything at all and have ended up tube fed. Um, yeah, so I see a whole range. So can people get referred for support for fussy eating through the NHS? Yes, they can. Um, they would have to go through their GP, yeah, but there would normally be there would be certain criterias. Um, in our trust at the moment, they're changing our criteria slightly and we're doing like an online group for sort of fussy eating and more, moving more towards that. But there normally are set criteria, so it depends where you are in the country on what criteria. So it might be there's been weight loss or there you know other issues like constipation or maybe they're anemic or other things that are going on to get the referral so again it would completely depend on which area of country you're in so we read that you were a fussy eater emma (laughs) so i was a really fussy eater as a child my mum despaired (laughs) so what did you just not eat what did you eat did you eat much Um, i went for a stage where i only omelettes and chips Oh, not a bad choice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's quite high in protein. <laughs> That's what my mum said. I did eat fruit and stuff, but yes, I was quite a fussy, as my mum said, fussy child, yeah. So um, what do you eat now? Everything? or you... Yeah. Apart from spicy food. I don't like anything spicy. <laughs> okay. So what was this kind of change? What? Um, Just growing I think, up? I think I was traumatised by school meals and being forced to eat at school, which I don't think was basically the best strategy. Um, I know I didn't eat pasta till I was about 19 because it freaked me out from school. But this is what I mean, like something freaks you out and then I bet there's loads of adults there who won't eat a certain food Liver. as an adult now. Liver is mine. Because at school, like you said, we were told we had to eat it. And honestly, I mean, in fact, when I was little, my mum said that I kept a piece of liver in my mouth for hours until it dissolved because I wouldn't swallow it and she wouldn't let me spit it out. It was like a battle of wills. So now liver completely makes, I mean, I'm not sure that it's that wide, but lots of people love liver now, don't they? Because it's not like it used to be. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah. vitamins, absolutely full of vitamins, liver. It's really good for you. <laughs> But yes, I know, yeah, and everyone has that aversion, don't they? And again, but it shows you how, like, by applying loads of pressure, not letting the child take it out, force feeding in that sense, you cause more damage, I think, than actually if you adopt a different approach. Well, exactly. Schools are better now, aren't they? They used to be that whole, you have to eat it. Um, but now there's so much more choice there's so much more um, they're kind of given ownership of what they what they want to eat rather than it being the other way around yeah because it's all about division of responsibility as well so I always say to parents you choose what you're cooking and don't cook three different meals you're in charge of the food that's prepared and what is served your child is in in charge of how much and what they eat fair enough that's a really good way of looking at it I think it's that whole we're so keen to feed like feeding is such a key part of kind of social aspects isn't it it's around everything so if someone eats and enjoys their meal that gives the person who's cooked it a real sense of oh they enjoyed it and it makes them feel good and I think when a child goes I don't want it I don't like it it's a personal we, we can take it personally and it's actually some days we just fancy something some days we don't and even now as adults, we, you know, we can choose what we do and don't like. And instantly we can go to foods that are like, yeah, no, I wouldn't choose that. I remember I, when I was nannying and I was working with a family and 
they loved fish pie and I used to make it batch cook it and obviously did my whole thing of isn't this delicious it's great we're all enjoying it um but I wouldn't always eat it I would just sit and sort of say I'm having my dinner later on that those particular days and I remember leaving that family and going back a few months later for dinner with them all to see them and they're like we've made your favorite we've made you fish pie (laughs) and I'm like oh no I've obviously done a really good job of making out that I, and I sat and I ate the whole thing. Um, They're like, do you want more? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm good. Thank you. Um, But I'm thinking, oh, the fish pie is not, I wouldn't choose it at all. But those children loved it. And so I was really, you know, embracing that. But, oh, now I think about it and I was like, oof, I just couldn't. But sometimes you have got to be careful how you approach food yourself because i think they do hear us talk about food and they do copy i think you've got to talk about food in a positive way as well so we don't have i have a thing with olivia that she's not allowed to describe something as yuck it's it, she cannot like it that's fine but we talk about the texture and what what is in the food but it's not yuck like it's there's other ways and other languages that you can use with food mm-hmm. to describe something then so yeah we work quite hard and just having a positive view on all food and I think even learning about food like growing food and you know like even at the moment we've got a school project we've got to grow carrots I mean not the easiest things to grow at all especially by June but yeah you know it's just <laughs> time <whole>. pressure <laughs> no exactly they're not growing at all <laughs> but yeah it's, it's those sort of things as well just learning about you know food and you don't need lots of room and you know to grow you know little things on a windowsill or anything but just so children can learn about food as well is really important there's some great books out there Mm. uh, like the runaway pea and there's loads of other vegetable kind of fun stories as well so again learning about food doesn't have to be at the meal time Mm -hmm. it can be away from the meal time as well i think it's also that whole supermarket shop we do we're now in such a big you know we get deliveries because it's easy because of our lifestyle but actually i remember every you know every Monday actually with my mum going to the supermarket and I would get the stuff off the shelf put it in the trolley I would talk about it was something mum had to do every week but actually I was involved in it and I could see the foods and I would choose certain things and I had then I started having my own little shopping list and you know all those sorts of things but actually I do think that really did help well like you say you would have felt the fruit wouldn't you and the vegetables and smelt them and all those things which like you say now I mean I hardly ever go to the supermarket now and people just if they you know they don't tend to always go do they so and it can be very stressful with young children don't get me wrong (laughs) but I think if you go with the idea that maybe it is just a learning experience and that actually it's an activity to do and just Mm -hmm. wander around it can actually be hugely helpful to kind of impact on that eating you know it's not all about just the eating is it? it's the meal time no, and- not at all and a lot of it's nothing to do with the eating as well i always do a fun like task for people is to pick your child's favorite color and then they pick a new food in the supermarket or farms or wherever you go and they pick something new to you know and it doesn't matter if they don't eat it it's just learning about that food mm-hmm. um, i did a recent one with a video with aubergines where olivia picked purple so she picked an aubergine and we put it in dipping sauce and we did it when she wasn't hungry just to try it and again there was no pressure to eat it or anything but you know th- fun activities like that as well 
around new foods can be better than actually trying to do it when they're really hungry at a meal time and you're trying to get them to try this new food because it's just sometimes it's just too much pressure we did a um with a family we did a over lockdown actually the desperation of all activities came out at that point and um the children are great eaters so it wasn't really but they did like a little taste test and they wanted to be blindfolded and then they had to have it in their mouth and they had and they could spit it out if they didn't like it but and there was no big shockers in there to kind of give them and um they loved it because they were like oh my goodness that's you know that's a grape and it tastes like this and so it wasn't only just it was language it was everything and they had the best time and they're like can we do that again (laughs) and I think as long as there's no shocks in there or you know suddenly throwing in a surprise vegetable that, that you know they hate yeah that's a brilliant activity as well I recommend that one and also even if your child's not prepared to try it they can feed it to you as well so you can mm-hmm. do it both ways so what would be your top three tips for families who have got fussy eaters first of all I would say making meal times fun again so I think that's the first place that you need to start if your meal times are really really stressful or you feel anxious the child feels anxious everyone's unhappy then just start by making those meal times fun again. Play that music, have a theme night, put that family style meals and thing. Make sure that child's got their safe food option, and just almost like step away from the food. Don't talk about the food at the meal time. No praise. No nothing about food at the meal times would be my first sort of um, step. Mm-hmm. Another one is a lot about messy play as well. So especially with younger children, if they're not prepared to touch a lot of food. And again, mealtimes are stressful and they don't want to do it. Do a lot of messy play with them. Get them to play and feed their teddies. And you can make rice mountains. You can, you know, use sauces and stuff. You can learn about food through touch and play. And a lot of children learn things via play. So that would be another top tip um, I would advise. And again, um, going out on adventures, having fun with food, growing food, you know. Like we said, going to the supermarket, picking a new food learning about food learning having books about food it doesn't have to be at that meal time you know pressured new food eating just learn about food get them to learn my little girl loves the human body book and she loves learning about all what different things the body does you know you can talk about how you know what does vitamin c do to your body and how does it make you strong and you know it's good for your immune system you can do all of those done things but they don't have to be done at a meal time as well that's great thank you are there some go-to books that either storybooks or books for parents to refer to that you would always say to look at um so in terms of books for parents there's a good one called oh i think it's anxious anxious parent anxious meal times i can put a, a note in it at the end but yeah that's a good one if you're really worried about your fussy eater there's lots of good tips in there um that's more kind of for parents um, the Runaway Peas, a good book that I really like. Um, but there's lots of other vegetable kind of based um, stories as well. If you just look on Google, there's loads of options out there. I think there's like veggie superhero ones and just even like a general human body book as well. Just learning about the human body. And they always have a bit on nutrition or something in that in the, one of those books as well. It's a good starting point as well. But yeah, there's so many story books out there now and even like colouring things as well I know um, there's quite a few companies out there as well that do sort of like um, monthly packs as well you get like a seed you get stuff on seasonal vegetables and you get all information a little book about that seasonal vegetable we've got one at the moment it's all about rhubarb and like Olivia didn't know 
what a rhubarb was. I don't think she's eaten rhubarb before. You know, so it was just learning about what is rhubarb. And she's like, well, now I want to try it. You know, there are lots of books out there that you can you can buy. Rhubarb's my favourite. And it's much easier to grow than carrots. Yeah, that's Carrot true. <laughs> this has been so helpful. We've covered so many things. I think we covered more than we expected to cover. So, you know, that's been amazing. Where can people find you if they would like to find out more? Well, I'm on Instagram, obviously. That's how I met you. Um, so I'm dietitian dot with a difference on Instagram, or I also have a website, um, dietitian with a difference and I have lots of freebies on there as well on fussy eating tips, and I've also done a new ebook as well with lots of like secret strategies as well to help parents as well. So if you go to my website or you contact me on Instagram, I'm happy to send you lots of tips. I've got a meal time stress free meal time freebie as well that's quite useful for parents too that's great we will share all those links in the show notes so if anybody wants to just click through then they can go to the show notes and find it there and also check out all those reels because you do do so many so many reels reels, emma i love a reel (laughs) we're in awe of that we need to do more (laughs) Um, and we also have lots of blogs on feeding eating fussy eating everything so the links again will be in the show notes for those as well so thanks again emma it's been a real pleasure thank you thank you so much for having me it's been great thank you so much that's everything for today thanks for listening if there's something you'd like us to talk about we'd love you to get in touch and let us know find us on facebook and instagram at bespoke family or head to our website the links are in our show notes Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss the next episode and please give us a rating or review if you like what you hear. We're Bex and Claire and we'll be back soon with another episode of Newborn to Teen and everything in between. See you then.